0: You're listening to a podcast New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompa. Amen, all right. Well, good morning, New Covenant. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. I'm Adam. I'm the pastor here at the church. If you don't know me, it's good to be together. Thank you again, worship team. Just, just really great. Really great morning already. For those that are watching online at home, want to welcome you. Also, uh, it is a new day, a new series here. We are uh, a really unique time. This series, Awaken, is a series that uh, many churches in the region are going to be teaching the same passages. Uh, the messages will look different for each church, but... We're all hitting a lot of the same uh, themes and passages because we believe uh, this is, a, this is a, a collaborative effort called Church United, of which I'm a part of the leadership team there. Um, and this is a collaboration of churches that just believe we are better together. And so it's churches across denominational lines, across all kinds of party lines, to believe that we we want to see South Florida renewed with the gospel. We want to see South Florida changed. We want to see South Florida impacted by the church in the best ways possible. And so we believe we need an awakening for that. And so a lot of churches are doing that this morning, and I'm excited that we get to be part of that. And um, so if you want to also just kind of take part in, uh, of this movement, we're also doing 21 Days of Prayer, and you can... Text AWAKEN to 844-986-4270. We'll put that in the, um, the social media and uh, streaming channels as well. But you'll get a daily kind of reminder, a little prayer focus. Um, a lot of that has to do with data that has been collected about South Florida through Barna Research, and we are um, just seeing more and more, uh, kind of our eyes are opening more and more to the needs of our community um, to our city, and I don't mean just Pompano, I mean South Florida, uh, 7 million people. We we are large, and there is a lot that we need to, to uh, pay attention to uh, as, as Christians, and um, yeah, so just a great opportunity, and so you can participate in that. Every day you'll get a um, you'll get uh, a little text message with a prayer kind of focus for you, and so you can join with that. Um, Along with that, uh, we are— Thanksgiving, we we said, is approaching, and we're doing this Thanksgiving lunch. We're also wanting to bless families that just need a little extra love this season— so we want to get uh, gift cards, grocery cards that we can hand out and give to families to bless them. Um, if you would like to participate in that, I would just say let's all participate in that. We want to have an abundance and overflow of cards to be able to hand out to families that uh, could use a little extra encouragement and love and blessing. So we would just encourage you to go purchase um, a grocery card, turn it into us. Uh, you can also give through the... Um, our our web portals to see Thanksgiving blessing, and you can give through that as well. So come give, come and play football on Thanksgiving Day. I know she said like, or he said, no, she, he, um, he said, you know, all ages, welcome stuff. Yes, we, but we are going to be playing football. It is, you know, we do get a little intense when we do these sporting uh, events, and so we have a couple guys that are um, helping organize the event. It is flag football, and it will be um, gloriously competitive, yet friendly, okay? (laughs) So you you do with that as you will. Um, uh, I would, I would say, you know, Older teenagers on through adults will be able to play in in the in the game. Um, all right, guys. So we are going to be in John chapter four, and I uh, just want to give a reminder to just all of us that we have um, we have the EMA room in the back uh, off of the lobby that we stream the service in as well. Um, if you are a family with young children that need uh, just some, some extra space, some room to, to make a little more noise or whatever. We, we love having our kids in and around here. We just want to be mindful of people around, and so there are some other rooms that you can uh, be a part of, and we don't always make that known. And so if you're new with us and you don't know that that exists, we would love uh, for you to see that room, and someone in the lobby will help get you set up. All right, we are in John chapter 4. This is a a little bit of a longer passage, Um, and so we're going to read portions of it. And if I'm going to read, I just have to quit fighting. (laughs) That's what it says. Oh, my gosh. The word is coming alive to me as we speak. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Praise him in all things, right? Yeah, still getting over this. All right, so um, let's stand up. We're gonna read God's word. Uh, We're gonna start in verse 19. The the scriptures will be on the screens for you if you need it. There's Bibles around you if you need that as well. We're We're gonna go verse 19 through 30, and then we're gonna skip to verse 39. This is what the word of the Lord says. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I who speak to you am he. Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. This is the word of the Lord. God, show us who you are through this. Show us more and more of why this story is important and special. God, show us, change us, reveal to us our desperate need for you our desperate need to be awakened. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I came across a fascinating article this week. I I was so surprised, blown away by this, by this um, story. So there is this man in Texas, okay? His name is Paul Alexander. He is uh, like 75 years old. And this... <laughs> this this title of this article was Man Lives 70 Years in an Iron Lung. Subtitle, I Never Gave Up. Paul Alexander, this man in Texas, he contracted polio when he was six years old in 1952. Within days, he couldn't speak, he couldn't swallow, he couldn't move. And as the days and weeks went on, some of those functions returned to him, but ultimately he was paralyzed from the neck Down and the only way he was able to survive was through a device known as an iron lung, and some of us have no idea what that is. Some of you maybe lived through that period of maybe some of you saw the polio epidemic and saw this uh, the hospital wards filled with devices, instruments, medical equipment like this. This was an iron lung, and. People who were paralyzed or couldn't breathe, this machine was helping them breathe either until they recovered or like this man, he spent, he's in still one of these. And this is a picture of him at 75 years old. Almost 70 years he has needed this device to live, to breathe. He's one of the last people on earth to still be using the iron lung. And he says this, he says, I never gave up and I never will. Here's what not giving up looks like for Paul Alexander. He graduated from high school with honors. He got a scholarship to Southern Methodist University. Two years he fought to get accepted to school. They wouldn't accept him because he was too crippled. These are his words. He attended classes in a wheelchair for the moments when he was able to to breathe outside of the lung for only short periods of time. Then, after graduating from Southern Methodist, he went to law school. Actually worked as a lawyer, and he said he was a very good lawyer. And in 2020, he actually published a book about his life. It took him five years to write it because he insisted on writing every word himself. He had a makeshift Pen on a stick in his mouth that he used to type on a keyboard every word, and he also used dictation software. And one of the most powerful things Paul Paul says is my story is an example of how your past or even your disability does not have to define your future. It's amazing, incredible. And there's so much more to the story we don't have time to, to look at. Uh, it's just so challenging because I, I think about my own life and I'm like, man, when I get a sore throat, I just feel like God has abandoned me and left me and I have, you know, there's no hope and like the world is ending. This is just so helpful for all of us. I I don't know where this man's faith is today. His parents uh, were definitely Christians. We, you know, I, I got to read some more of his history. You know, they used to take him to church. They come from a Pentecostal background and they, they would take him to church and pray. And he said, he used to see his, his father just as they would come up for prayer, that his father would just weep and, and let it all out. There's something about this story that we need to hear. And, and it relates to the story that I just read to you from, from God's word. The, the, the story that we're studying today, Uh, sometimes we feel directionless. We feel sometimes hopeless, futureless, either because of a current situation that we're going through or because something in our past that has happened where we feel like we don't have a purpose. We feel alone. We feel all the things. And it's one of the, the things Paul mentions in his story that I read in a different article. Um, he says, look, you have to understand, back then there weren't, and these are his words, okay, there were no cripples. There was none on campus. I was the only one. Wherever I went, I was the only one. Restaurants, movie theaters. I thought, wow, there's nobody else out here. And I thought, Wow. So many of us feel like that. So many of us feel like we are alone, like whatever has happened to us has crippled us in a way that that we're not useful or that we can't be useful or we just don't have direction. We feel all the different feelings that make us seem or think that we're inadequate, unable to contribute, unable to bring purpose to this world. And we feel at times like the only one. We're too damaged or broken to be of any use. And <laughs> the reason why I think this story is so challenging for us is because how do we t- typically act when we start to feel that way? We we kind of throw our little tantrums. We, we pick up our ball and go home. <laughs> we we yell, we scream, we sue, we cancel, we do all the things that just are defense mechanisms for us that just want to run away and want to to embrace our our anger, our hatred, our sadness whatever it is instead of leaning in and 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 going before god. See, the reason why we act like like that and I I know I can act like that. I probably act like that more than I'm willing to admit, and, and we act like that because we, we have lost sight of our purpose. We don't know who we are. We don't, we don't understand our identity. We don't see God. We have a problem with our creator. We, f- we either forget him, we ignore him, or we don't know him. And maybe you're in one of those categories today. You you have you things are happening to you or have happened to you, and you're here or you're listening, and you're either feeling like, man, God has left me, or I'm choosing to ignore him, or I just am choosing to not think about him. And so we need an awakening. We need an awakening. Often our priorities are just so off, so wrong, so out of place. We need help. Look, our lives are full of alarms. I don't know about you, but this morning when my alarm went off, I was like, man, why do I feel so good? I feel awake. I feel alive. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, is it really 615? And I'm like, what's going on? I was like, oh, Daylight savings. <laughs> I can I don't know if it ended or started today. I, I don't know. But the clock changed and I got an extra hour. So I felt good. Everybody felt I, I feel like everybody walking in today was just had a little more pep in their step. People were here a little earlier. I was like, all right, and this is it. Dreading, you know, the spring when we go back and we're, we're just like crawling into church. Our lives are full of alarms and reminders. I mean, technology makes it so that we we never forget anything. But look, we we need these kinds of spiritual alarms to wake us up and to stay awake. And we need to be awakened, not just to like what's going on around us, but awakened to our purpose, how God has made us, what he's calling us to. And that's where this story teaches us so much. And and I wish we could spend weeks on this story because it is so full and rich, but we can't. We have to like kind of fly through through this. But this, this woman that, that we read about here, she's not named. Only, only thing we know about her is that she is from Samaria. She's a Samaritan. She needed an awakening. She needed to see her purpose. She needed to see her hope, her future. And this is the kind of awakening that only happens with God, with an encounter, through an encounter with God, and that's what she had. And so we're gonna just learn a few things from this passage that I hope will will help us to see what an awakened purpose does to us. And I wanna ask you to pray that God would speak to you, to awaken you, to to remove the distractions of your life for, for these few moments, because I believe this has the power to change everything for you and for me the first thing that we see about an awakened purpose is that it begins with new birth. An awakened purpose begins, begins with new birth. See, Jesus, this is, what we're looking at in this passage is a conversation between Jesus and this woman. And we only read a little portion of it, and so I want to help fill in the gaps a little bit. Jesus and the disciples, they are, they're traveling, Right? They're, they're walking around, they're, they're doing their ministry. Jesus is uh, traveling through this land, gets to Samaria, which is a little unusual because Jews didn't typically like to go to Samaria, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. And so they're, they're traveling, they're walking, they're tired. The disciples separate out, and they go look for food. They're going to get some food for the group, and he meets this woman. He comes to a well to a well where he can get water. It says it's like noon, so imagine desert heat, walking, tired. Come to this well. It's described as Jacob's well, which is meant to draw us all into some things happening from from the Old Testament, which we don't have time to look at too much right now. But so he meets this woman, and in verse 7 we read this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now don't take like offense, like, oh, that seems harsh. It's just translational elements, but he is. He's asking for a drink. He's asking for water. Now, this was a huge deal, huge deal. If we read this and we're just like, oh, that's nice. Jesus is needing a drink, and he asks this woman to do it. No, no, this this was a huge deal, and she knows it because this is what she says in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria And then, you know, parentheses, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's, that's big deal. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, okay? There was a lot of racial tension between the Jewish people and Samaritans. And they all come from the same foundation, the same root. See, (laughs) She's a Samaritan. She has a Samaritan background. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were hated. They were seen as half-breeds because there was a point in Israel's history where the bad guys came in, bad invaders. They take Israel captive. They bring them out of the land, but they left some in the land of Israel, in the land of Jerusalem. And what then they brought in their own people, other people settled there, Gentiles, which would be non-Jewish people. They settled in the land, and then they started to get together, right? So Jewish people and non-Jewish people that were left over, they are, they are intermingling, right? And they are breeding. And so once Israel is released from captivity, going back into the land, they come back to a land that was full of pollution to the bloodline. So there was terrible, terrible animosity and hatred between, from the Jews really towards the Samaritans. And, and look, what happens when enough people start hating you? You hate them. It's what happens. So they started to hate each other. Uh, so, so much so that late, many, many years later, when Israel came back from captivity, they wanted to rebuild Jerusalem. And the Samaritans showed up and said, hey, we want to help you. Can we help you build? Israel's like, no. Samaritans wanted to reconnect with their Jewish roots. Israel said no. They wanted to help rebuild the temple. Israel said no. So Samaritans became the enemy and actually started then working against Israel, trying to stop them from rebuilding Their temple, and then the Samaritans went to their land and started building their own temple. And so this sets up a lot of what happened. See, Samaritans had their mountain that they worshiped on. The Jews had their mountain that they worshiped on. They had their own worship traditions. Each one had their own worship traditions. And so Jesus and this woman are having this conversation about worship. And she's asking Jesus, she doesn't really know who he is yet, but she's asking him, well, where do we worship? You say we worship here. We say we worship here. And Jesus says, it's a powerful thing. He says, "This it is not, it is not about the mountain. It's not about your mountain. It's not about my mountain. That doesn't matter anymore because he says this in verse 23, and we read this earlier. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is this is for us. It was for her. It was for us. Worship isn't about region. It isn't, it isn't about your regional location. It is about your relationship with God. It isn't about where. It's about who. Now, that was huge for them. We don't think in terms of that. We... We don't, we're not looking for a mountain to worship on. You know, you're here, you're at this church, this is great, I'm glad you're here, it's wonderful, you're listening. But you don't have to worship here, you could, there are many places you could go and worship. Worship is about, it's about who. what you're giving your life to. Anything you give your life to follow. And so God is saying, look, it's not about the location where you're worshiping, this is about the one who you need to worship. And he's trying to help start bring her focus off of this tradition, off of this mountain. And for us, we have to think about, okay, well, what are the mountains that we are putting up to to describe our requirements for worship? Maybe you say, I'll never go to a church that plays loud music. You're probably in the wrong place here. Or I'll never go to a church where the pastor doesn't wear a suit I'll never go to a church, or I'll only go to a church, or I'll only worship if this, 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 this happens. And God is just calling us to a a, a different mindset, a different thought process. And he's calling us to worship in this, this... this phrase in spirit and in truth, that God is looking for worshipers who will worship God in spirit and in truth. And the reality is that we need to be renewed from the inside out. There is a new birth that takes place. Jesus is the object of our worship. He needs to be. She didn't realize she was talking to the mountain. (laughs) He is the mountain that, that, that she is to worship on, that we are to worship on. He is the temple. And we all have these preferences about where we worship, how we worship, and so much of that just needs to get pushed aside and and look at what's really happening. Where is the new, renewed life going to come from? Jesus is to be worshipped not on a mountain, but in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and his spirit needs to, to live inside of us, and we need to be renewed in that spirit We need the living water that he talks about with this woman. We need new birth. See, before Jesus talks with this woman, right in chapter three of John, he talks with this religious leader. His name is Nicodemus. And it's fascinating. John puts these two near each other. Nicodemus was well-educated, all the credentials in the world, a leader, a religious leader. And he comes to Jesus and says, I don't don't understand what you're doing. And Jesus says to him, in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He tells this to this religious leader, and then he meets this woman, uncredentialed, in all respects, nothing to society at this well. And they're having the same conversation. What do I do to to worship God? He tells Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. And he says the same thing to the woman, just not in the same words. We need new birth. We need to be renewed. We need to be born again. We hear that term used a lot in In culture, in in Christian circles, right? We talk about being, you hear it, you know, people say, what does it mean to be born again, to be born again? It means that Christ has to be the Lord of our life, and he does a, a resurrection of our soul so that we can worship him. See, to really know your purpose, to know who you are, to know where you're going, to have any type of hope or future, there has to be this beginning point of the new birth. And then that changes everything. It changes everything. And so then we have this ability and this desire, a passion in us to see the world changed. See, an awakened purpose not only begins with the new birth, but then it fuels us it fuels a love for brokenness, a love for the broken an awakened purpose fuels a love for the broken look Jesus the, again, this story is so it 's so amazing when we understand the context and, and we 've seen a little bit of that, right you understand she 's a Samaritan, and so already there 's this Animosity between the two, but the fact that they're even having a conversation astonishes everyone who's watching. Jesus takes the time to talk with her, who in so many ways would be seen as nothing. And so Jesus then, his disciples come back from getting food and they kind of interrupt the conversation and they're walking back and (laughs) the picture is, you know, they're looking at Jesus and this woman going... They don't say anything. And it's funny, John makes it a point to say, they don't even say, what are you doing? They don't say anything, right? It says it in verse 27, (laughs) his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Why? Why does John make that point? It's because it really is telling it highlights how much of the prejudice existed. Not just about Samaritan, but about women. Right? It doesn't say they're surprised that he's talking to a Samaritan, but that they're surprised he's talking to a woman. In that culture, in that day, in their tradition, some not-so-great things were a part. See, some Jewish thought held that, that if a rabbi were to, talk too much to a woman, that even his own wife, if you talk too much to his own wife, it was at best a waste of time and at worst, a breaking of, of or a diversion from the study of the law. And some rabbis went so far as to suggest that to provide their daughters with a knowledge of the Torah, of the law, was as inappropriate as to teach them prostitution. The, seed, the, the seeds of problems were deep in that culture. You have to, we, we read the Bible, and we just, sometimes we just gloss over the fact, like, you know, th- these passages that say, and they picked up stones ready to kill him. And do we ever sit and go, what did he do? It's like healing on the Sabbath. They're ready to kill him. Eventually they do kill him. Why? Because he did stuff like this. He Connected with the most broken of society when all the, the religious and the, the highly educated and all the ones that were supposed to know better didn't know better. And he had the strongest words for them, and he had the, the strongest rebuke for them, and the strongest patience and love towards those who in society would have been the most vulnerable, the most broken. So you add to the fact that this is a woman who is a Samaritan. And the disciples, the fact that they're surprised and marveled isn't surprising to us. And then you you look at how he deals with her. And we didn't get to, to read this part. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, he's having this conversation about worship. And he says, go call your husband and come here. She says, I don't have a husband. Which was the truth, but... Stretch of the truth, because, and this is where Jesus shows his cards, and he says, look, I know, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the person that you're living with now is not your husband. (laughs) And this takes her back, right? Because that's when we pick up in verse 19, and she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's, She's just, everything about this encounter is throwing her off her game. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' heart for the broken. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't call her a liar. He doesn't doesn't call her all the names that maybe we would like to call her. Uh, He he doesn't cancel her. He He doesn't disavow her. He doesn't leave her. He pursues her. He sees her brokenness and he loves her. If you go through the list, she's... She's had five husbands already, which means they either died or divorced her. Even then, having more than two or three husbands was seen as a problem in that culture. She's living in a sexually immoral relationship with a a sixth man. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. This is a list of brokenness. And Jesus runs pursues relationship with her. Look, she would have had no voice in her culture. She would have had no status. She would have had no future because we learned, it doesn't say she had any kids. Like she is lost. She is broken and Jesus breaks all the rules, comes to her, offers her not just water, but living water, offers her an identity, offers her hope, offers her freedom, offers her a future And we will never fully appreciate the gospel message about who Jesus is until we realize that we are her. We are her. and Jesus met us, came to us. We sang about it today. Your goodness is running after, running after. See, it's not dependent on the circumstances of our life that we see the goodness of God chasing us. It's not about the fact that whether we 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 are under stress or in seasons of blessing, it is the fact that God has chosen in our foolishness, weakness, in our running away from Him, He pursues us, captures us, loves us, saves us. See, we think thought we just needed water, and he comes and he gives us living water that is eternal. He gives us what we really need. That's what he did with her. He loved us, the broken, the weak, the marginalized, and he made us whole, and that should change everything in us. It should wake us up, and it should provoke us to think about how we treat other people, how we live with other people, how we view brokenness. A lot of us in, in this day, in this culture, with the ability we have to communicate our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, a lot of us are asleep. We're not awakened to to the purpose God has for us because if we were, we would be thinking differently. We would be speaking differently. We would be pursuing change differently. We would be thinking more about Jesus and this encounter with the woman at the well whose story in all ways should have made him push her aside and yet he, he, he offers her the very thing that she needed most. And so she goes and she tells everyone She goes back to her town. See, that's, that's the final thing, right? An awakened purpose goes into the world to bring wholeness, to bring transformation. That word wholeness is special to us as a church. That's part of our vision, right? We, we want to go. When we are awakened truly to who God is, we want to go into the world and bring change, bring transformation, bring wholeness. Now, this woman has found someone who has loved her unconditionally, and this fires her up to go tell everyone in her town. And again, this is amazing considering her situation, her eagerness to go back into the town where she would have been an outcast. She would have had no voice with her sixth man and her position in society. She doesn't care. She runs back into town and she says, hey guys, come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did everything I ever did. That doesn't mean Jesus looked away from her sin and the things that she was engaging in that weren't right. It means that he he drew it out of her and said, look, you still have a place with me. She is awake. She knows where life is found and she wants to go tell everyone. Look, she wanted water. She just wanted some water. She met the one who gave her what she needed. She left her water jar. (laughs) That's what it says. It's subtle. It says she left her water jar, ran back into town. The very thing that she came out to do, she doesn't even care anymore. Her eyes were focused on this person, this one, this new life that was being offered to her. Church, I encourage you. Want Jesus more than you want anything else. Pursue Jesus more than you pursue anything else. It's the only way that you are going to be effective in, in the life that you're living, in your job, in your family, but it's also going to be the way that you will be effective in changing this world and bringing life and hope. doesn't matter that, that this woman was an outcast, that she, that she had a history, that she's unqualified. Jesus qualified her, and that's what he does for us. He gave her a new life, a new hope, a new purpose. He gave her a voice. He gave her a voice. She had no voice, and he gives her a voice. She didn't have any qualifications that made her credible. No college degree, no evangelism experience. Uh, She didn't have a million followers or 10,000 followers. She didn't have any followers. She met. Jesus. And she was changed. And so she spoke. And what happens? They come. What it says, many Samaritans. That a Jewish rabbi would draw this many Samaritans, it's unthinkable. This should get us Emotional. This should get us thinking. This should get our our spirits fired up. That many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this voiceless woman's voice. He has given you a voice. He's given you purpose. He's given you a life, a hope, a future. Do you know him? Have you met him at the well? I'm gonna ask the team to come on up. Maybe you're listening and you feel absolutely incapable of putting this into practice. You feel unworthy. Maybe you see yourself in this story and and you identify with the woman and you just say, I I, have done too much, too much baggage, too much brokenness to be of any use. And you can't find a way out. Maybe you feel like our... Our guy Paul at the beginning in the iron lung, how he felt early in the day, where he said, I'm the only cripple out there. I never see anyone. No one else is like me. God wants you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone. And if you feel unable, if you feel unworthy, go to the one at the well. Go to the one who knows everything that you ever did and still calls you his son or his daughter. Go to the one who experienced all the shame of sin and brokenness so that you wouldn't have to experience any of it. Go to the one who drank the bitter water of death so that you could drink the eternal water of life. He knows your pain. He knows your brokenness. He knows your sin, and he loved you enough to take all of it, all of it onto himself so that you would have hope and you would have purpose. My friends, we need to be awakened to our purpose that God has given us. Let's stop retreating into the shadows. Let's stop retreating from the discomfort of community life, of people who think differently and, and, and we were retreating into these realms where we're only with people who think like us, who sound like us, who speak like us, who smell like us, who, who, who have come from the same background as us. We need to stop and we need to engage in a world that is complex, that is full of nuance, that is full of brokenness, and we need to come and bring the wholeness of Jesus Christ to bring that water that he can only give Look at what he says. He says, whoever drinks of the water I will give and he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is the good news. Are you thirsty? Have you met Jesus? Do you want to drink of the water where you would never drink, have have to be thirsty again? run to Jesus. If you have been a Christian in your in your years and you feel like, yeah, this is for someone else. No, this is for us. We need to go back to the well day after day after day because we need reminding day after day after day what our purpose is so that we can be filled and equipped to go out from these four walls bring life and wholeness and today we get the joy of putting this passage into practice by accepting the invitation to eat and drink of jesus christ we're going to take communion today it's an invitation to the table, right? Jesus says, I offer water that's, that's living and eternal. We get to do that in a physical way today. The, the physical presence of Jesus isn't here, but the spiritual presence of Jesus is here when we do this. If you have accepted, if you have met Jesus at the well and you have put your trust in him, this meal and table is for you to reflect and think on who he is and what he has done for you. The the sacrifice, the broken body that was nailed to the cross, the blood that was spilled, that was nailed to the cross. We get to eat and drink of Jesus this morning. It's a reminder of our need for him, of our need for the eternal water. And if you are just coming to Christ today, saying, I've never trusted you before, Jesus. I don't really even know who you are, but I need saving. Lord, come and save me. Then today is is an amazing day for you because we rejoice with you that that God has met you. And we would say, go to the table and take the elements. But if you're here today and, and you don't know Christ, you've really not had that experience, you've not met him, you don't trust him, for the salvation of your soul and and the forgiveness of sin. We're so glad you're here. And we would just say, just, just observe today. We wouldn't want you to do anything ritualistic. We want it to be meaningful for you. And so just stay and pray and think and call out to God. So we're going to sing a song. And if you haven't gotten your cups yet with the all-in-ones, they're at the table. While we're singing, you can go grab those, come back to your seat, and just think and meditate on who God is, and then I'm going to come back up after this song, and we're going to take the elements together. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Father, we give this time to you. Thank you, God, for your, your great love for us, and that we get to take of this meal together. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for life. Thank you for giving us a purpose. Help us, God, to go and live in the purpose that you have set for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We're about to sing the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray to our Father. Pray that we would submit to God as we pray it, as we sing it. Padre nuestro en los cielos, Santo es tu nombre.
0: Ever. This is what we need to be awakened to, God. Our lives are so focused in at times on ourselves, on what's happening, the loss, the pain, even the good and the blessings. We need to look, our, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves, onto you there's no better way to do that than to be reminded through the Lord's Supper of your sacrifice for us. Change us, God, through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your wafer out. The Apostle Paul, he writes as, as he is thinking and teaching us on what the Lord's Supper is and how to do it. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. take the cup in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Paul goes on to say for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. His death, his resurrection, his ascension was so that we would have life. Friends, let's let's make the best use of this life that God has given to us. Let's live with purpose, keeping him at the center, him at the focus so that we could bring his transforming wholeness to the world around us. Get excited for that. Get a vision for that. If you need anything today, if you need prayer, we're going to have some folks up here that would love to pray for you, pray with you. They're going to come up. If you would like to, just form a line behind them, and they, they will pray for you. If there's anything you would like us to know about you, please fill out a Connect card. You can go right on. You can text uh, wholen- um, wholeness to 94,000. You can fill out a connect card there. You can do it in the at the welcome table. We would love to know how we can serve you and walk with you in this life. Church, we love you. Have a great rest of your Lord's day. Visit the Thanksgiving table in the back to, to sign up to serve, and we'll see you next week. Blessings.